and welcome to The Mental Game. I'm Larry McGuire, coach and psychologist and writer at theperformatist.com and here on The Mental Game. This show is primarily concerned with the psychology of human performance and how we can use what we've learned through uh, over 100 years of study and research into human behaviour, how we can find work that engages and fulfils us, perhaps for a lifetime. Uh, Too many of us, it seems, are at odds with our work, were disengaged, were unfulfilled, underappreciated, neglected. Uh, We feel like cogs in the machine of the commercial enterprise. I know this because you've told me. I know this because in research that I've done, people have reported to feel this way, and not just a few. We're talking 30 to 40% of respondents in a couple of different studies I've done, one particularly was particularly ad hoc, but uh, one recently published, uh, where people have, have said these very things. And I think that's a shame because we've only got one life. And if we're not doing work that engages and fulfills us, well, maybe we're wasting the time we've been given. So what's prompted me to create this show and the performances is to deliver you material that can help you find clarity and direction in your work, to finally choose work that makes you uh, engaged and fulfills you and that's what it's about so if you're interested in finding out more uh, how the psychology of performance can help you improve your work find work that you enjoy and uh, allow your performer to a high level well then you're in the right place i'm larry mcguire thanks for listening in and here comes today's episode Well, welcome to episode eight of The Mental Game. It's been a while since I've been here. Uh, Distractions, work, family, uh, all that kind of stuff getting in the way. And uh, it's meant that I've been away for too long. But um, I've had a renewed uh, enthusiasm to get this show uh, going again. So I hope you'll excuse the long break and uh, you'll enjoy the upcoming material. Uh, This week, I'll tell you a little bit more about uh, what's coming up in the next few weeks. But this week, we're talking about um, uh, self-determination, self-determination theory, and what it says about our motivation, in our case, uh, to work. Um, But before I get into that, I just want to remind you that there are no adverts on this show. The Mental Game is free of adverts and third-party stuff. So if you would like to support the show... If you appreciate the material that's going out for free, uh, click on the link um, below in the show notes this week over on the Performatist. Uh, you'll find a link there um, to support the show for a five or a month. Um, also, uh, subscribe to The Mental Game on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, etc. Everywhere good podcasts are played, you'll find The Mental Game. And... By way of reminder, what we talk about here is the psychology of human performance as it applies to work, primarily. The stuff that we do in our waking hours. You don't necessarily have to be paid for the work that you do, uh, but uh, regardless, um, <laughs> the stuff that we do in our waking hours is the stuff that we do. And we're either doing it for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. We're either doing it for um, money and uh, material gain and status and all that kind of stuff, which is fine if that's your bag. But uh, my opinion is that 
that's unsustainable. It only lasts so long before we hit burnout, before we we uh, lose interest, uh, all these kinds of things. When we're first and foremost engaged in our work for its own inherent value, it's that that will sustain us. And without that, we're really going nowhere, at least in the long term. So if you're interested in commanding your own work, if you're interested in finding out how to do it to a high degree, well, then you're in the right place. I hope to provide you with the information that can help you do that. Uh, it's something I'm interested in. Uh, this topic, uh, daily work, just has grabbed a hold of me. I'm immersed in it. I've just too many books on the subject. I have my own particular experience in it and what that has taught me. Uh, my education in psychology as well. Blend it all together and uh, delivered in an audio format and also in written articles on the performatist. Maybe it'll help you find some clarity and direction in your work. Uh, it certainly helps me. And uh, I do it. Uh, I do this stuff because it interests me, because I'm curious, curious about it, because um, I don't see any better, better reason to do it than because it strikes me as interesting, uh, more than interesting. Um, I spend a lot of hours doing it. So anyway, you're in the right place. If we're on the same page, uh, that's good. Um, you can read the material that I talk about here over on theperformatist.com. And uh, we have a community that has recent, recently launched. It's very small. It's, uh, it's brand spanking new. And it's a place where you and I and others like us can engage on this topic. How can we find work that engages and fulfills? And then how can we do it to a high level? Essentially, what we're talking about is commanding our own work, finally taking the decision to do work that we want to do rather than doing work that just pays the bills. Now, and I know that's maybe oversimplistic and not always achievable because I know there's a lot of people work because they have to. They've maybe got themselves in a situation where they've no choice but to work at what they're doing uh, because it pays the bills. And okay, that's fine. But there has to be something else. Um, that feel to me that feels like a treadmill. I know because I've been there. It just you're just going nowhere. Um, you're just pressing widgets every day and getting your paycheck. And on its own, that's no good. You need something else that that fulfills you. And that could be dancing or singing or 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 uh, or art or gardening or cycling your bike or going for a run or whatever it is. But we need something. And maybe if we allow ourselves to put the energy into it, it can be something that provides us with an income. I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. I, we have this idea, I think, in our society that uh, work has to be uh, a bit of a slog, you know, um, it has to be a bit painful in order for it to be in order for us to be worthy of a paycheck. And uh, there are a lot of people who don't do that. There are a lot of people who do work that really switches them on and keeps them tuned in and they get paid for it and they get paid well for it. And I think that's the, that's the golden nugget there. You know, that's really where we want to be. And, um, I don't, I don't see any reason why we can't get there. So this week's episode number eight, I'm talking about uh, a particular theory of human motivation and personality. It's called self-determination theory. And the amount of research in, in this, uh, topic is huge, right? Um, it's been going on since the 80s. Uh, Edward D.C. 
and uh, what's the other fella's name? Something Ryan, I can't remember now. I should know, but uh, anyway, it escapes me. So Ryan and DC have been researching this from very early on. Uh, they have come up with um, a framework for understanding human motivation that really brings in uh, a lot of what has been said to date about what motivates us to act, to get up in the morning and do our thing. Um, behaviorism was very popular in the 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, but began to wane a little bit. And what behaviorism said was, well, really, there's no brain, yeah, there's no cognitive impact here at all you just um like pigeons and cats and what have you just feed human beings or electrocute them or uh, stimulate them in some way and then they'll perform an action for you and if you keep doing that long enough they'll habituate us and they'll keep doing it uh, and really this is i know i'm being oversimplistic but behaviorism really oversimplified what it is we were uh, and reduced us to just um automatons and that's not what we are. Uh, uh, quite the opposite, actually. We we are needs driven. And according to self-determination theory, there are three fundamental needs, psychological needs that need to be met in order for us to be healthy and flourishing uh, in our work and in our life. And those three things are autonomy, competence and relatedness. Autonomy being the feeling that we are in control of our own lives, our own work, that we can direct our own actions. Uh, and we're not being pushed around and told what to do and treated like a Muppet or a cognitive machine. And so often in the work that we, we find ourselves doing, we're just means to an end. And corporations employ us just like they would uh, uh, buy a printer, right? Um, and we're just meant to press widgets and do as we're told. And this is just soul destroying. And although there's been a move away from this uh, method of management uh, or uh, yeah, management of people in organizations, it's still there and it's still really influential. And, um, you know, OK, I take the point that um, you've got to go in and learn the ropes in, in a technical, aspect, technical respect in any work. Let's say um, my former work as an electrician, I had to go in and serve an apprenticeship for four years. You come out the other side of an apprenticeship and you have to do another four or five years or more in order to become really proficient at what you do. Now, that could happen earlier, but you're talking about maybe eight to 10 years of work before you come become really good. And then you can maybe, you're at the start line really in your work. You can start to command and direct what you do a little bit. Okay, you're still bound by the technical aspects of the work, like any work, but... Um, your autonomy has increased, but even then only to a particular degree because you still have to behave and function within the constraints of the organization. So uh, organizations uh, are there to achieve a particular aim. They hire people to help them achieve that aim. And more often than not, those aims are not really aligned with the human aims, my 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 wishes, desires, needs, etc. Uh, it's about making a profit. Um, and that's why companies exist. So our, our autonomy is not always met. In fact, I don't think it's often met in organizations. So go into an organization, do the job for a while. But eventually, if we want to be fully autonomous in our work, we've got to command our own work. So that's autonomy. Um, competence. OK, I touched on it a little bit. 
when you go into a new a new piece of work or a new a new trade or a, a, a new profession, you're going to spend some time learning uh, the skills and uh, the concepts and all the rest of it related to that work. So that's the technical aspect. And after a while, let's take the electrician as an example. He's learned or she's learned the work uh, over a long period of time. They've become proficient at it and competent. They feel that they have the ability to perform the work to a high degree. Um, and that comes with time and experience and what have you. So in an organization, for example, if you're not given uh, the freedom to learn it um, and learn it in a healthy way, well, then you're not going to be able to command and direct your own work in a, in, in a very efficient manner. So that's competence. Um, relatedness refers to our need to connect with other human beings, our need for community, our need for uh, a collective purpose. And in religion, people find that often. In uh, certainly in organizations, commercial organizations, people find that, you know, if you work for Google, you're a Googler. And it's it's all very tight, you know, uh, in certain respects. I think, I think time... Uh, in these organizations might teach us something different. But for a while, after we've learned the ropes, maybe pretty soon after we come in the door, there there is a sense of community and we either feel a part of it or we don't. So um, self-determination theory suggests that our motivations um, come from these three, fulfillment of, of these, or our motivations are influenced by a combination of these three basic psychological needs. Um. That's really what it has to say in a nutshell. Now, uh, this week I wrote on the performatist uh, an article on this topic. It's about 3,000 words. Um, and um, the direction that I'm taking with this is really, you know, how, how it applies to daily work. And what got me on this track was uh, a couple of years ago, I was doing a piece of research from my undergrad and I was looking at well-being uh, of self-employed people versus uh, people who are directly employed in creative domains of work and corporate domains of work and how they compare. Um, and the single most standout piece of information that came from that study was that all the groups I examined, now the sample wasn't huge, I think there was about 230 people, something like that. But from that sample, I, I formed groups. You were either creatively working in a creative environment and you're self-employed, creative environment, directly employed. You're working in a corporate environment, you're self-employed, or you're working in a corporate environment and you're directly employed. So we're four groups. And none of those groups, under any of the measures that I looked at, were uh, satisfied with work. I used satisfaction with work scale. Uh, in order to examine certain aspects. So no one, no, no group was satisfied. They were all dissatisfied on the dissatisfied scale, end of the scale, which was really interesting. Um, now, individuals were satisfied. There were some individuals that said, you know, they're honoured that they get to serve other people. There was uh, someone else said that uh, they enjoy the creativity and freedom of being self-employed. But on the other side of it, um, a lot of re people reported to be completely at odds with the, what they were doing. Um, one uh, lecturer said um, they enjoyed their role as an educator. However, they're constantly stressed. Another uh, respondent said it's a grind. I'm only doing it because it pays the bills. 
And this was a this was a common theme I found in the responses. So I'm not just plucking this off the top of my head. I'm not just um, you know, sticking my a wet finger in the air and saying, hmm, I think this is how things are. It seems to be a a a, a pretty solid fact that a lot of people are at odds with their work. Uh, and I did um, a very small ad hoc little survey. I've been running it for a while and you might even have responded to it of people um, in relation to how they feel about work. And um, I think I started around the same time as I was doing this study. Um, so anyway, I asked people a bunch of questions uh, and 30, I gave them a scale, of uh, one to 10 scale in terms of happiness with their work and they had to choose where they were. Um, and uh, 35% of people chose um, a level between one and six. And now I, in my kind of ad hoc way of analyzing the information, I decided that if you responded either one or somewhere between one and six, well, then you, you weren't really engaged with your work. You weren't really satisfied with your work. You weren't happy necessarily with your work. But if you were, if you graded yourself somewhere between seven and 10, well, then maybe that work has enough to sustain and fulfill you for a pretty long time, maybe even your whole life. And that's, I think, what, what we're looking for. There are always going to be aspects of work that we do not like, that uh, we'd rather not do. But for the most part, if we can say 80% of the time work is really good, well, then I think we're in a good place. But 35% uh, of people said that they weren't really happy with their work. So that kind of reinforced um, what I found in the published uh, piece of research in um, back in January. Um, so uh, I found self-determination self theory subsequent to doing that research, and I like what it has to say about motivation. It says that uh, human motivation is centered on us, the organism, the human being, and it examines the social conditions that either facilitate or hinder what it calls flourishing. Now, um, to distinguish flourishing from happiness, well-being, etc. Happiness is kind of a subjective um, thing. You know, you say you ha feel happy, but why do you feel happy? Well, maybe recent events in your life have um, made you feel good, and that's what you're referring to when you say I, I feel happy today. But when we when we talk about our work, um, to say that you're happy really doesn't tell us a whole lot. So self-determination theory offers us a means whereby we can examine ourselves and the energy that drives us to act. And uh, if we can understand that, well, then maybe we can make better decisions uh, and ultimately perform the work that we do to a better degree or, or, or choose work that um, gives us that fulfillment, you know. So I'm talking about fulfillment in the sense that it's challenging, but it's a good kind of challenging, you know. It's not, it's not meant to be easy. And uh, the easy life... I suppose, is not necessarily a good life. The good life is you're stimulated and challenged. And be, there's certain aspects of living that are asking things of you, you know. Another aspect of um, motivation that self-determination self theory looks at is controlled versus autonomous motivation. So um, it says that controlled motivation is a kind of a carrot and stick approach. Um, where um, you bring in seduction or coercion and manipulation of conditions. You might feel pressure or, or, or to perform or to act. 
Um, and it's usually accompanied by adverse stress. You know, there's good stress. Good stress kind of brings the best out in you. Bad stress, adverse stress uh, brings on anxiety and, and poor performance. Um, so uh, you might endure these conditions for a period, uh, expect, expecting maybe the pressure to disappear. But um, in the long run, it just has an ongoing negative effect. Uh, and we set a precedent. And so the cycle of reward and punishment just it persists and uh, brings about chronic effects on our well-being. And additionally, with controlled motivation, we tend to want to get the job done quickly, uh, either to get away from it or towards something that uh, maybe there's a reward at the end of it that forces us to do it. Maybe we want, we want to get to the re reward. So we cut corners. And um, for certain aspects of personality, this might be gratifying, you know, for uh, particularly narcissistic people with particularly narcissistic tendencies, they might be materially motivated. The image, uh, the appeal of the image is enough to make them do it. And uh, maybe in our society, we're too uh, aligned with this idea. And I think it brings, it brings about some detrimental effects. You know, look at uh, Boeing 737 Max, the whole story, or uh, 3M and the Teflon scandal back in the 70s, or uh, Laura Brown uh, and his overseeing of recent disasters with BP, all of those things you could arguably say came about because people were driven uh, with a, a means to an end attitude um, and people were just cogs in the machine. So uh, this input output stuff um, forced people to get things done, uh, methods of motivation, delivers short term results, material results at the expense of the long term. In contrast, when we're talking about autonomous motivation, we experience certain volition, uh, willingness and choice about what we're doing. Uh, Edward Deasy, one of the, the authors of the original study on self-determination theory, says that in the doing of the task or the performance, we are endorsing it by actually doing it. Um, and there are two particular aspects of autonomous motivation. The first reflects our interest and enjoyment in the tasks in the task and suggests that if we are interested in something and we enjoy it, then the motivation is already there. It's present and we can access it. And in its purest form, with the absence of all other influencing factors, there's no need for an external push. Uh, and children are very good at demonstrating this. We don't need to motivate a three-year-old to play. They just do it. They're driven by their interest and curiosity. Uh, and they're sustained by it, self-motivated, you know. The second form of autonomous motivation concerns our values and beliefs. And uh, if there's something that we hold to which we hold great importance and uh, uh, responsibility, then we'll be more willing to engage in behaviors that align with that than otherwise. Uh, the motivation to act is already there. So if we value something like the environment, for example, we'll be encouraged by virtue of that value to recycle, to reuse etc uh hobbies fall into this bracket i think gardening art writing storytelling etc um we engage in these things for their own sake and edward dc says that uh there are literally hundreds of studies that show that when we are autonomously motivated we are more innovative and creative in other words you'll be better at solving problems better at making decisions 
that you'll perform better at work and your emotional state will be positively oriented. We essentially get better results when we're autonomously motivated. So how do we support autonomy uh, in individuals, either that work for us or within ourselves, in our family environment? Because it's not just about work or in our sporting environment. Um, DC says that we have to start by considering the individual and their perspective. And when we understand their framework of understanding, then we can move forward in a mutually beneficial direction. Without that understanding, we're fighting for control. We're like uh, in a do it or else uh, situation. And I used to be like that in relation to my work. Um, the lads who worked for me were just there to do the job. And I didn't see them as uh, autonomous individuals that were capable of doing the work without me pushing and pulling them around. And, and that showed a weakness in my character. But hopefully I've learned something from that uh, and have changed in some in some positive way. Um, in taking that approach, we achieve short-term results, but you can't expect people to suddenly switch on and become responsible for making decisions when we're not empowering them to do so. Um, DC says that understanding the other's perspective offers them a sense of choice of being involved in the decision-making process. It supports their freedom to explore solutions and become what he calls self-starting. Instead of people being a means to an end, uh, they become part of the process. And this is a human-to-human type relationship rather than a human-to-machine one. You know, we see other people as ourselves. We're on the same level. We're not shouting down to them uh, from on high, uh, barking instructions. Those days are gone. At least they should be. Uh, And when we do that, when we provide people with support for their own autonomous decision-making, then they can internalize the work and make it a part of their own value system. And uh, the results are there to show it. Uh, when teachers are autonomously motivated, their students uh, learn at a more profound level uh, and their students enjoy learning um, than they would otherwise. When doctors and medical staff support patients, their patients recover better and live healthier lives. They feel more responsible for their own health. Uh, they take their medication when they're supposed to. They exercise regularly, etc. Uh, in a sporting context, when coaches are more autonomy supportive, their athletes show uh, a greater increase in their effort um, in the work, in the sport. They perform for longer and uh, to a higher standard. Um, and athletes also have been found to work better as a team. In workplace settings, research shows that when bosses support the their staff's autonomy, performance results improve, absenteeism drops, staff turnover drops, um, and it's altogether uh, produces positive results. Now, in in terms of self-employment, uh, I don't believe there's a whole pile of research in this regard, but I hope to change that um, maybe a little bit um, in the recent piece of research that I'm doing uh, into uh, self-employment. More about that at another time. Anyway, um, what I'm really getting at here with this material is I'm attempting to convince you of the merits in commanding your own work. Um, you might have a workplace environment that supports these 
basic psychological needs, competence, autonomy, and relatedness. Um, but really, if you want to feel what these are about, in my opinion, having been the employee and then having been self-employed and having employed other people, if you really want to feel that sense of freedom, that work, in my opinion, should give, well, then you must work for yourself. You must go and command your own work because in that sense, you get to decide who you work for. You got to decide, you get to decide when you work, how long you work, you, uh, what it, it is you do. Uh, you're not fenced in. Um, now, when I know that sense of freedom might be scary, uh, and it is when you step out, but it's when you step out first, but it's exciting as well because you get, you get to decide. And that's what we're really talking about. And I firmly believe that there is no greater support for autonomy and competence and relatedness than our own uh, willingness to be a little bit scared to step out and do our own thing. Now, um, it's not a foregone conclusion when you go working for yourself that these needs will be met and that your motivation will be directed, uh, will be pointed in the right direction. Um, there's a downside. Uh, and the downside can be significant. Um, there's a lot of risk in doing your own thing and commanding your own work. <clears throat> uh, so certain things have to be in place. Uh, and um, what I didn't have uh, at the time was a supportive community that I could rely on. Uh, there's a sense when you work for yourself that you're on your own and you are in large part. So, I wonder if there's something we can do about that. Uh, there are lots of communities and support forums and stuff for self-employed, but um, many of them focus on the elements of the business, the core functions of the business, uh, sales and marketing and leads and finance and structure and HR and all these kinds of things. And that's fine. That's important. But what's missing in all of that and what's really fundamental is a focus on the person the business owner um and and what it takes to form a sense of self that's healthy and will flourish on its own doing its own thing now i don't i don't mean on its own necessarily because no one can survive completely on their own hence this whole idea of relatedness but within the self-employed community, we can form our own sense of relatedness by being together and supporting one another. So I started Peak, and Peak is a community for people who are self-employed or who wish to become self-employed. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you just want to have more control over your work and self-employment hasn't really come into, uh, into play yet. Um I created Peak as a place where we can share this information, this information that I've touched on today, uh, and support one another in that pursuit. Um, it's about finding a means and, and means and ways to command our own work in a healthy way, uh, to direct ourselves, uh, and to find meaning and purpose in work. If we're already working for ourselves, ourselves, and we feel a bit lost, well, maybe Peak is the place where we can begin to find the clarity and direction that we need. The um, peak community is by invitation only. And 
when you subscribe to the performatist, uh, you get an invite to join that community. I hope you can. I hope you will consider it because I think it's worthwhile. I'm passionate about this subject. I really am about work. I mean, I've so many, I've so much material on this. Uh, it, I just couldn't in a whole lifetime. I couldn't consume it all. But what I do is I go into it and I pull out what I think is relevant and I try put it in a way that you can uh, digest it for yourself. Um, it's not the answer to everything, but maybe it'll help. Peak is um, a place where I think we can we can support one another in this endeavor, in uh, the pursuit of meaningful and fulfilling work, and maybe to command it ourselves. Uh, so I hope you'll consider that. Uh, that's all I've got for you this week on self-determination theory. I didn't cover everything uh, that I wrote on Sunday uh, in this recording. So if you want to check out the article, there's a link um, on today's episode. And I hope you check that out. Uh, I've been Larry McGuire. Uh, this has been The Mental Game. And uh, it's a show about the psychology of human performance. If you like this material and you would like to support us, please do so. There's a link in today's uh, uh, episode. Um, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google and all that kind of stuff. Share with your friends and colleagues and hope to see you back here next week. That's all I've got for you now. All the best. And uh, Take care of yourselves. Good luck.